morning. Well, some of you are awake. Good to have you here on this uh, Sabbath day. And aren't we glad, finally, praise the Lord, to have a little sunshine. Oh, my goodness. I've been tired of being cold. I'm tired of it being um, overcast. Uh, we thank the Lord for each new day, but my goodness, I'm so happy to see sunshine coming through those windows. Open up the shades in the house. There was a sunbeam for the dog to lay in. It's been, it's been a good Sunday already, so glad that you're here. If you're visiting with us, we'd love to have you take just a moment. You'll see a QR code. It's that funny squiggly little thing uh, on the left-hand side of the bulletin. If you'll take out your camera, you can actually scan that. It will open up um, a, um, a website. You can go there and you can see an order of worship, um, sermon notes. Um, there's also a place at the bottom for you to complete a digital connection card, and we'd love to have you do that. Also, I want to let you know that... Um, it is that time of year when we're gathering items for a shipment of Arctic Barnabas blessing boxes. If you notice the box in the foyer, it does. Um, we can always get an extra box. So if you look there and you go, oh, they've got all that they need. Uh, we'll send as many as we can send. Um, so if you'll donate your items by March 15th, uh, we'll get those sent. But make sure you check the list in the foyer to see the items that they're needing. If you have any questions, you can always talk to Ken or Candace about it. Um, and that will get you straightened out. Uh, we are uh, thankful this morning to have uh, Mr. Mickey Rundell, who made the long trip from Cleburne this morning. He's a Gideon representative. Um, we usually enjoy in, uh, in the month of February uh, a time when the Gideons will come. They'll remind us of the, the crucial ministry that they performed to uh, schools and hospitals um, and, and prisons and wherever else. I, I don't want to steal Mickey's thunder, but he'll tell you uh, in, in a brief amount of time uh, about the Gideon ministry, and then also at the end of the service, um, he and I will stand at the back of the foyer, um, as, as I always do, but Mickey will be there with an open Bible, and if you'd like to make a contribution to the Gideon ministry, uh, then you're able to do that. I think there's also some material in the bulletin that you could use as well. If you, didn't, if you weren't prepared to give today, you can also give online. Um, I think we're back to our regular schedule, um, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I don't think there's anything that's uh, depriving us of that this week. Um, are there any announcements that need to be made? Jared, do you want to say anything about last night? All right, thank you. Any other announcements this morning? All right. Well, um, I want to take just a few moments as we have our call to worship today. And uh, I, I, I trust that uh, the goings-on in the world are weighing heavy on your heart as they are on mine. Um, I've probably spent more time watching news in the last few days uh, than I have in quite a while. Um, oftentimes, news is depressing. Now I'm really looking for information um, and we know that um, there's a conflict in Eastern Europe between Russia and Ukraine. And I do want to take some time 
and, and read some scripture and then spend a few moments in prayer for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. So this is Psalm 37, and I'll start reading with verse 1. Uh, this is a psalm of David, and David writes, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it, only tend, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. As we think about ways to pray, I received this week from Send Relief. That's a Southern Baptist Convention organization uh, that had a, a prayer guide for Ukraine. So uh, instead of just reading it, I'll take a few moments and just pray through this. I encourage you to join with me as we join our hearts together in prayer. Uh, and then after the prayer, then we'll continue on with our worship. So let's bow together. Father, we are grateful to know um, that you laugh at the wicked, uh, that you see that his day is coming. And we trust in you, Lord, knowing that... Um, even though it, it appears as if right now all things aren't under the control of our Savior, we trust in His sovereignty. So Lord, as things continue to progress in Ukraine, we pray for, for the people of Ukraine to have strength and courage and perseverance. We pray that there would be uh, safe passage out of areas of conflict for those that are displaced by this conflict. We also pray, God, that you would provide wisdom to government officials, not only in Ukraine, but also in Russia and in Europe and the United States, around the world, that they might lead with wisdom in this time as it is so incredibly tense. Pray that those that are displaced, Lord, uh, would find the type of healing that they need, that they would turn to you. We realize that the type of harm that will come to them is not, it's not only physical, but it can be psychological and emotional and spiritual. As they wonder why, Lord, and how long, we pray that they find the healing that they need in this trauma. We pray for safety for soldiers on both sides of the conflict. We wish no death upon anyone. Lord, we also pray for the local churches and the relief workers and the, the aid organizations giving humanitarian aid as they come to care for this massive wave of people who are displaced in Ukraine. We pray, Lord, that they would work together well, that they would serve in your name, that they would serve with joy, that they would uh, have tireless energy to serve. Lord, we pray specifically for Disciples Church in Ukraine and its church plant. And many of the people there are displaced from the east, and we pray for peace for these believers. And it's the peace that they had hoped that they would have from a prior conflict. 
But that peace was short-lived and now they're facing conflict again. There are other churches like Disciples Church, Lord, that need, uh, need a, a miracle from you. Need the Holy Spirit to continue to pour into their lives as they seek to minister to their flocks. We pray for the Ukrainian Baptist Theological Seminary. And for the many students that are there. And as this seminary seeks to minister to these students in this time of crisis. Lord, we pray for the many Ukrainian believers that are there. As they try to be a light in this darkness. Give them a deep and abiding hope in the, risen and cru- the crucified and risen Savior. And Lord, for those that have never heard. Perhaps now their, their hearts will be tender. And their ears will be attentive to the gospel. So we pray for Ukrainian believers that in this time of darkness that they would share the light of the gospel with those who have never had an opportunity to experience the hope of Christ Jesus. And Father, again, I want to say on behalf of all of us, we trust you. Even though this is hard, this is difficult, and it's miles and miles away from us, we'll go home and have a nice lunch. The people of Ukraine, they will continue to suffer. But Lord, just burden our hearts. Keep us ever in constant prayer. Remind us of your sovereignty and the hope we have in you. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, Joel was supposed to fill in for James, who is preaching again uh, this Sunday. Uh, You see that Joel's not here, and you see that James is not here, and you see that I have not stepped down from the stage. So now's the time to pray, uh, because I'm going to lead us in our our worship time this morning. So if you would, please stand, and we were going to sing together, praise him, praise him. Savior reigneth forever and 
what a friend we have in Jesus. And it's good to know in these times in which we live, we have a friend that, as the scripture says, he sticks closer than a brother. seated. Now we're going to have Mickey Rundell. He's um, coming from Cleburne to share with us about the Gideon ministry. Thank you, Mickey. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Rock it. <laughs> Psalms 118.24, what does that say? Nobody knows? This is the day the Lord has made. We will what? Rejoice. Rejoice and be glad in it. I am rejoicing because in our headquarters in Nashville, we get about 45 plus letters, emails a day of people who have read a Gideon place scripture and met Jesus Christ. Now you know, I'll remind you, you probably know this, our one purpose is bringing people to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
We do this two ways. One is personal witness. We have a little testaments like this that we buy ourselves. You buy, help buy all the rest. And by the way, that 45 or so letters and emails, if you have ever given to the Gideons, if you have ever prayed for the Gideons, you have a part in it because we represent you. We thank you for letting us be here. And in this little testament, you've got helps in the front and you've got the plan of salvation in the back. And they're a very good tool to lead people to Jesus. And also, besides personal witness, like the pastor mentioned, motels. This week, uh, we went to a motel up there, to La Quinta, and they, uh, during the last two years, they wouldn't give us time day. We went in there, and they said, yes. We said, do you have any Bibles? No. So we got to put 78 Bibles in. And praise the Lord for that. And, you know, a person cannot be a Gideon unless they have a pastor's recommendation. So we depend on the church. And like I say, we represent you. And everything we do is in your name. A lady named Elizabeth Yarbrough was born in Arizona on an Indian reservation. Her daddy was a drunk, abusive. She grew up, married somebody, and guess what? He was drunk and abusive. She had eight children, and none of them lived. Finally, she had a little boy that lived. And she poured all her love on him, just, you know, probably overdid it and everything. And it must have been that way because when he graduated from high school, he joined the army. She took him down to the train station and sent him off. Now during this time, an auxiliary, this is a wife of a Gideon, had come by. They give to nurses and things like this. And she was given one since she was a nurse. And she'd put it up on a shelf. She got back from the train station and she was despondent because there was the only person she'd ever really loved. And they were gone. She had a pistol. And she was going to take her life and her eyes spied that, spied that white testament and she went and got it. She opened it up and the first thing she saw was John 3.16. Everybody knows what that says, right? For God so loved the world. She said that was the first time she'd ever felt loved in her life. And she accepted Jesus. And the story doesn't stop there. Up in Hale Center, Texas, there was a Gideon speaking at First Baptist Hale Center. And it was televised. There was this young man working for a nursing home, and he just got fired. And he'd got back to his room, and he had turned on the TV, and he was despondent, and he thought he ought to kill himself, but he heard her testimony. 
And he said, God, if you can do that for her, you can do it for me. And if you will, I will serve you. God works in mysterious ways sometimes. Was it a Bible that led him to the Lord? No, it was that testimony. Or you get a little girl named Josie in Missouri. She got one of these little Bibles, little testaments, a little red one. Maybe some of y'all got a red one somewhere in your past life when you were young. Anyway, she came home excited. She told her daddy, Mr. Gideon, came to the school today. Do you see this? He says, go away. I don't want to be bothered. He worked in a coal mine. Every day she would say something. He'd say, don't bother me. A neighbor, she with her friend, daddy, led the two children to the Lord. Now she's excited. Because she wants her daddy to be saved. And so she kept on. He wasn't paying attention. And one day she put that Red Testament in his pocket. Coat pocket. That day at noon, a siren went off. It was a cave-in at the coal mine. They dug down, they dug down. It was four people. They didn't get out in time. One of them was her daddy. White pages. He wrote on there, I will see you in heaven someday. Isaiah 55, 11 says that God's word does not return void. We're in 120 countries and territories. 15 are self-supporting. We here in the United States support with scripture 185 of those. God has blessed the United States so much that we've been able to do this. But I've had people that I've met at international conventions, they say, please send us Bibles. We, we promise we'll put them out. One guy said, you think you can ride a bicycle and carry four boxes? I said, no. He says, we have a man that does. Somebody else built, found an axle. They put a platform wheels on it. They pushed it 30 miles to get to schools. Also in some of those schools in Africa, Muslims have come. And they're in those schools. And, and these people some don't have books to teach the kids. So when the Gideons come, they say, yes, we want them. They want to use them as reading books. But guess what? Some of those Muslim teachers have accepted Christ. A bunch of those Muslim kids have accepted Christ. Why? Because God arranged that Gideons could go where they needed reading books and the Bible was their reading book. Now we need prayer 
Motel 6 will not let us put Bibles in their motels. We need to pray for them. Holiday Inn and all those under them, which is several different motels, they, if you will ask for a Bible, they'll give it to you. But if you don't ask, now lost people don't ask, right? Now believers might ask, but lost people don't. So how's that doing any good? It's not. But pray that their top people will let us put the Bibles in there. Thank you for listening. And we just praise the Lord for y'all. Thank you very much. Well, we'll continue in our time of worship. Um, and I think Brandon's going to come read a scripture. Will y'all turn to Psalms 24 with me? Psalms 24. <clears throat> it's on the screen as well if you need to follow along there. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive blessing from the Lord, and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors. And the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. We're going to sing, Just When I Need Him, Jesus is Near. You may not have ever sung this before. It's been a while since I've sung it. So uh, we may have to feel our way around on the, on the melody, but, but we will sing together.
Please stand. We'll finish our time of worship with Savior like a shepherd lead us. Take your copy of God's Word. Turn to the book of Psalms. We'll be in Psalm number 2 today, continuing our sermon series called, My Jesus, I Love Thee. And this morning we look at Jesus as King. (laughs) 
Psalm 2, verses 1 through 12. And if you would please stand for the reading of God's word. Psalm 2, verses 1 through 12. This is God's word. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those, or all who take refuge in him. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful again for your word and for the truth of this word, that you have set your king on Zion, your holy hill, and that king is Jesus Christ. We know that the nations will be his inheritance and the ends of the earth will be his possession. All the enemies that stand against them, they will either come under his grace And they will be part of his people or they will be on the receiving end of his rod of iron and they will be dashed to pieces like a potter's vessel. Lord, I pray if there are any here that need to hear that Jesus is king, to consider their ways, to be warned, to be pointed toward the king, to serve him with fear and to rejoice with trembling that this king would lay down his life for them that they might have life. Lord, for any that don't know you as Savior and Lord today, may they pay homage to the Son, give them His complete, their complete allegiance. For we know that your wrath is quickly kindled. You could come at any time, and the window of opportunity could be closed. So, Father, help us to learn from this psalm and give ourselves to you wholly. I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. There are different types of psalms in the Old Testament. Uh, the type of psalm we're looking at today is called a royal psalm. Royal having to do with a king, and I believe we can see that since it does say in verse 6, and this is God speaking, the Father, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. But I want to tell you that I'm going to interpret this scripture differently than how a Jew would. Now, that's not to, to speak disparagingly in any way about a Jew, but Jews, they receive the Old Testament. They don't receive the New. They don't believe that Jesus has come as the promised Messiah. They, they continue to look for a Messiah. That being said, we have the New Testament. Now, this chapter, um, probably at one time, 
possibly at one time could have been used um, in the installation of the Davidic kings. Remember, God promised David, I'm going to build you a house. And there will never cease to be one of your descendants on the throne of Israel. And so there was that promise. But as we look at this and we consider how David and one, one of his descendants, um, other than Christ, could not have been the one who would have the nations as his heritage. That's promised to Christ. The ends of the earth as of ends of the earth is his possession. That belongs to Christ. David and succeeding Davidic kings were unable, because um, we know that the people of God were carried away into exile. So there must be another who's going to come who would break these enemies with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And that person is Jesus Christ. So I'm going to interpret this through, and I believe this is perfectly legitimate, through a New Testament lens. And so this, instead of being simply a royal psalm, it is a messianic psalm because it points us to Jesus Christ. I also want to tell you that this is, if you're ever looking for a way to share the gospel with someone, you have it here in Psalm 2. Because it begins with, Human rebellion. We find human rebellion in verses 1 through 3. And I want you to notice here in verse 1. It says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? Notice it says nations and peoples. Not just says some nations. It doesn't say most nations or a few nations. It says the nations, the people. So it's talking about individual people that belong to those nations and the nations and peoples collectively. Verse 2 says, Kings, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. So not only do we have individuals in their homes and then individuals coming together collectively, but we have the highest echelons of government rebelling against the Lord and his anointed. Notice again, it doesn't say some kings of the earth. It doesn't say a few of the rulers take counsel together. It says the, the nations, the peoples, the kings, the rulers. And they rebel against the Lord. Verse 1, it says the nations rage. It says in verse 2 that these kings of the earth, they set themselves. In other words... They get together and they plot a plan by which they feel as if they can overthrow the Lord and His anointed. In fact, the rulers take counsel together. How might we overthrow the bonds that the Lord has placed on us? And they rebel. They rebel against, the end of verse 2 says, against the Lord and against His anointed. This is... The human condition. We come out of our mother's womb. And it takes only a little time before we in our little bodies begin to shake our fist at God. We are born mutineers. We are born in rebellion. We are born wanting to overthrow God in a coup d'etat. Notice what these kings, these rulers Say when they 
set themselves together and counsel together. They say, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. And the psalmist says in verse 1, the very first word, he says, why? Why? Now, I want us to consider the question from two perspectives. The first is the why. You might mean, you're repeating yourself. Give me a moment. It'll become clear. When I say the why, I'm speaking about the motivations for mutiny. Why do people rebel against God? Well, I think we understand we only have to open the pages of Scripture at the very beginning to, to discover that God is a good God. And He created a good world. In fact, He said good a number of times. Then He created humankind and He said they are very good. And He gave them a good job to do and a good place to live. He surrounded them with goodness. But they made a different choice. Jesus tells us in a broader sense, in a broader way of understanding, what Adam and Eve did. Jesus in, uh, I'm sorry, John in 1 John 1, 5 says, This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. There was no darkness There is no darkness in God and there was no darkness in Eden and in the world that God had created. But Jesus, in speaking with Nicodemus in John chapter 3 verse 19, he says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and this describes what Adam and Eve did. And people loved the darkness rather than the light. God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. But Adam and Eve chose the darkness over the light. Job 24, 13 says, There are those who rebel against the light, who are not acquainted with its ways and do not stay in its path. By birth we walk in darkness. David says in Psalm 51, 5, Behold, I was, con- I was brought forth in iniquity. I was And in sin did my mother conceive me. It's not to say that the act of conception was wrong or sinful. It's to say that David understood. And remember, David wrote this psalm after the prophet Nathan confronted him after he had had um, illicit relations, committed adultery with Bathsheba, and had her husband killed. And David realizes, I'm the one who did this. I'm not going to pawn this off on anyone else. I'm the one who is a rebel against God and he has been nothing but good to me. The why, the reason why humans rebel is because we are born in and with radical moral corruption. Not only that, not only are we broken, but we want to run from God. We don't We're not born wanting to run to God. Don't believe for a second that all people are born good and we just need to be nurtured into our goodness. That is not what the Bible says. The Bible tells us that when we come out of the womb, we are like the nations, we are like the peoples, the kings and the rulers, and we want to rebel against the Lord and His anointed and say, let us burst off their bonds and cast their cords away from us because God is an oppressive tyrant who wants to enslave me. He doesn't want me to be who I was created and who I want to be. He wants to tell me and put me in His mold and I don't want that. I want to break His bonds and cast His his cords away. 
That's why. That's the motivation for the rebellion. And I think we understand the why, but the greater question, and the real question that the psalmist is asking is, but, but why? Notice again in verse 1. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? So the psalmist is not really asking, why are they doing this? He's saying, he's astonished. There's just disbelief at the audacity that people would really believe they can break, burst the bonds of the Lord apart and cast his cords away from them. The psalmist says it's in vain. It's for nothing. All of their effort will be brought to nothing. It's emptiness. And it's as if the psalmist is saying to us and to the people who are rebelling like this, don't you know that you are fighting a losing battle? Don't you know that you're poking a sleeping bear? But the thing about it is, is these, these kings, these rulers, they think... When they say, let us burst their bonds apart and cast their cords from us, they think, we can take them. We can do this. We've got this. The psalmist is saying, no, you can't. This is ludicrous of you to think that. Why in the world would someone think that they could overpower God? Psalm 50, God tells us. He says, you thought I was one like yourself. Not God high and lifted up, but God who's a little bit more like me. And I can take him. But it's like a parent trying to boss, I'm sorry, a child trying to boss a parent around. The kid may stomp their feet, but the parent has final say. These people rebelling, They fail to see and appreciate the power and authority of God. They fail to see and appreciate the goodness of God. And God is so good. And God is so powerful. And He has been so good to those who hate Him. That's what what blows my mind about God. I wish I could say I'm godly in that way, that I return good for evil. Don't often do that. And I, I... I don't know why I stand up here many, many Sundays. Because I know myself. But God is good to evil people. And still, they treat Him this way. When verses 4 through 6, we see God's response. It says, He who sits in the heavens laughs. He laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. God's first response is laughter. Now we need to understand here, this is, this is a technical term. This is an anthropomorphism. Anthropos is the Greek word for, for man or human. Morphe means form. So this gives the appearance that God is human like. He's described in human-like characteristics. But God is a spirit. He does not have a body like us. But for us to understand what's going on in God's mind, the psalmist, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says God laughs. But understand, there is nothing comical here. 
This is not nervous laughter where God just doesn't know what to say or what to do, so he just laughs. What it is, it's a signal that God is not in the least bit phased, nervous, or amused by the mutinous rebels. Notice it says in verse 4, he sits in heaven. It talks about him being enthroned. And he's firmly established on that throne. No amount of kings setting themselves, no number of rulers taking counsel can change that. And this laughter is mocking laughter. Notice it says the Lord holds them in derision. He laughs mockingly at them. But also notice, God is long-suffering. This is something we, we need to take time and make sure we see this here. God laughs. He holds them in derision. But notice that He's long-suffering. It says, then He will speak to them in His wrath, not that He will slay them in His wrath. It says that He will terrify them in His fury, not tear them apart in his fury. The Lord's initial reaction aims to put his fear, the fear of God into these rebels to wake them out of their sinful stupor before they face something far more serious. God is long-suffering, but make no mistake. God must deal with rebellion according to his righteous character, but thankfully... Praise God, he is long-suffering. After the people of Israel had made the golden calf and Moses had come down the mountain, he had thrown down the Ten Commandments. Moses pled with God to stay with the people, not to abandon them, not not to say, Lord, uh, because the Lord said, I'll send my angel with you. And Moses said, no. You must go with us. And in the midst of all of this back and forth between God and Moses, Moses said, Lord, I want to see your glory. God said, you can't see me face to face and live, but I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock and I'll put my hand over you and you'll see my back. And before the Lord did that, I want to read from Exodus 34, 6 and 7. It says, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. He's long-suffering. But make no mistake about it, because the Lord himself continues when he says, But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the children's children to the third and fourth generation? God's train of justice may appear to us to move slowly, but it never fails to arrive. In verse 6, God says, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. He's basically saying to these rulers and kings, You do what you want, but my king's right over there. And I have installed him. So notice again, instead of immediate destruction, which is what these rebels justly deserve, God instead points the rebels to his king. When I think of Jesus, 
being displayed as king, one place that I immediately go is Calvary. You remember that it says in John chapter 19, verses 19 to 22, when Jesus was on the cross, it says, Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and it was written in Aramaic and Latin and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Jesus was portrayed and shown to be king when he was crucified on the cross. A king who stepped out of heaven. Who put aside the glory of heaven. To come and sacrifice his own life for the sake of rebels. God is long-suffering and he points the rebels to this king. God also speaks about his divine rule in verses 7 through 9. This is where actually the son speaks This is the king speaking. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. And this divine rule entails sonship. There are scholars who see Psalm chapter 2 as a psalm that was used at a coronation for a Davidic king. And these words in verse 7 where it says, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. That those would be some sort of a. A formula like when the president puts his hand on the Bible and and, and takes his oath of office. But nothing of the sort appears in the Old Testament. In fact, the New Testament handles these words in the Old Testament always in regard to Christ. When the Bible says, you are my son, or this is my beloved son, it's spoken by the Father of Jesus. It was spoken during his baptism And then also at his transfiguration. But the last part of it where it says today I've begotten you. Paul picks up on this in a way that's consistent with how the gospels speak about Christ. In the first of Paul's sermons recorded in Acts. He takes Psalm 2, the last part, today I've begotten you. And he refers to Jesus' resurrection. This is Acts 13.33 where he says, this he has fulfilled to us. Their children by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm, Today you are my son, today I have begotten you. So Paul understands this begottenness to refer to Jesus in his resurrection as the firstborn from the dead, according to Colossians 1.18. So Jesus is the king as displayed in his crucifixion, and he is the son as displayed in his resurrection. Paul says in Romans 1.4 that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. God has set His one and only Son on the throne and He has given Him supremacy. In Philippians 2 verses 9 through 11 Paul says, 
Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In Hebrews 2, 7 and 8 talks about Christ's incarnation. It says, You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor putting everything in subjection under his feet. The author of Hebrews continues. He recognizes what we recognize. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. Yet at present we do not see everything in submission or subjection to him. The New Testament and the Old Testament, especially here in verses 8 and 9, say that the Lord... The Son, the King, Jesus Christ, will have supremacy over all. The Father will give the Son a people. And the Son, um, the Lord, the Father tells the Son, Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance. It was God's will that Christ would intercede and ask for us to be made His people, to be redeemed, that we would become His inheritance and possession. And Christ will save people from all nations. And in doing so, verse 9 reminds us that the Son has supreme power to deal with His enemies and to set up His kingdom. And Christ will conquer one of two ways, either by grace or by force. There is still time for Him to deal with you by grace. But a time is coming when the window of opportunity will close. And when it does, he will deal severely with those who in unbelief refuse to submit to him. So that leaves the last part of Psalm 2 is the human response. The psalmist encourages those who are reading and hearing and listening to submit. To submit. There are five different imperatives in verses 9 through 12. The first one is be wise. Wise up. There's no way you can overcome God. He has put His Son on the throne. Look at His Son and live. Through Him you have life. If you wait, the window for opportunity may close. Heed the warning. Verse 10 says, Be warned. At any time, the window of opportunity to receive the Lord, to turn to His King, and to serve this King, this Lord with fear. The window is closing. It says to repent, verse, I'm sorry, rejoice with trembling, verse 11 says. Some translations struggle with, or offer, I should say, an alternative interpretation to the Hebrew word translated rejoice. They want to put repent in there. I see why they would want to put that in there. It is a logical and probable uh, translation for that word. Perhaps both are meant. Come and repent before the Lord with trembling and rejoice that He hasn't already destroyed you. That He has given a way for you to come and submit. Finally, he says in verse 12, kiss the Son. That basically means submit to the Son. 
To kiss would be like to kiss the ring. To give allegiance. To give a sincere homage. Not lip service. But a sincere allegiance and homage to the Son. And they're encouraged to do it soon. Lest He be angry and you perish in the way. For His wrath is quickly kindled. In other words, again, the window of opportunity is closing. And what the psalmist is trying to impress on his readers and upon us and upon you if you are lost is why would you continue in rebellion when God has extended the olive branch of peace through His Son, the King, who stepped out of heaven and came to earth and laid down His life so that the the righteous judgment of God could fall on Him and the debt for the sin of the rebels could be paid. Why would you continue in rebellion? When God offers refuge to you. Verse 11, verse 10, 12. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. He offers refuge to rebels. And you will be blessed if you receive it. But in order for that to happen, you must say, I am not king. Christ is king. I come to Him Not in my way of coming, but I come with repentance, with trembling, realizing that I don't deserve what the king died to give me, that I will give him not lip service, but my true and undying and unending allegiance. That is what God offers to rebels. Are you still friend in your rebellious state? God's arms are open for you to come and to receive and to bow the knee before the Savior. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for our King. Father, we thank you that He is firmly established and will not be moved. We thank you for the fact that before we meet him in judgment, we are given the awesome privilege to meet him in grace. And I pray, Lord, that there, if there are any listening online or any here in the service today, that the reality of the judgment has set in and that the grace and mercy of the king have become clear. They would this day repent. They would kiss the sun. Lord, we know that outside of ourselves, we have no hope of doing that. But even now, Lord, you can touch the dead heart and bring it to life. We pray that you do. Point the lost to salvation through the king. We pray this in his name. Amen. We're going to sing, I know whom I have believed. If you need to make any sort of response during this time, I'll be down front. You're welcome to come. If you'd like to join our church or find out how you may do that, if you'd like to give your life to the Lord, I'd be glad to spend some time with you after we're dismissed and and speak to you about how you can receive the Savior. Any and all responses that you need to make, the time 
is now yours to use in this way. Let's stand and sing together. be seated real quick. We'll have a time of prayer. Just to update a few things on our list, um, Nell Foreman is looking at at, at a very long process ahead of her. Um, She did find out that um, the biopsy came back negative on uh, what was going on in her mouth. Uh, I don't know all of the the details, but I know that she, she faces a long road of surgeries and recovery. So we definitely need to lift up um, Nell. Um, ben seems to be doing well. Again, he's going to have an appointment this week in order to try to get a second opinion about what's going on in his neck. Um, I don't really know any other updates off the top of my head. If, are there any updates on the prayer list that you would like to share? Anyone? All right, so Nell's surgery is Thursday. Thank you. Anyone else? Any prayer requests you'd like to share on your own? It's always the time. I just want you to know we don't get locked into the list. If there's something you need prayer for, we're always glad to pray pray for you. All right, well, let's stand. Uh, We'll have a word of prayer. We'll say the Great Commission. Just want to remind you that Mickey and I will be at the back door. If you'd like to give to this wonderful ministry of the Gideons, he'll be there to accept any donations you'd like to give. Let's pray. Again, Father, we uh, turn to you and and thank you uh, that not only are you sovereign over salvation, uh, you're you're sovereign over the things that go on on this earth, uh, and we trust, Lord, that even though it seems like right now not all things are under subjection to the Savior, we we trust that that all things are, that all things work for our good and for your glory. We also trust, Lord, that you're sovereign over the lives of individual people. We pray for Ben as he has his appointment this week. And pray that he would be able to have uh, some different news about how they might approach the situation going on with him. And Father, we also lift up our dear sister Nell and pray that you would comfort her, give her peace as she goes into this very trying week. We pray for those that would be uh, uh, undertaking the surgery. I pray that you'd guide their hands. And we pray that the, uh, what they need to do uh, while um, she's there can be done quickly, efficiently. Uh, and that they could come out of the surgery feeling like it's it's a successful surgery. We pray for her recovery. Pray for Chuck as as, um, he ministers to her, and for our church, Lord, as we find ways uh, to minister to Nell as well. Father, we also lift up our friend Mickey, and we're thankful for him uh, coming today and sharing with us about the Gideon ministry, and we pray that you would take the, the donations that our church gives, that you would multiply them many times over, and that many people would come to know Christ through our giving and through the the ministry of the Gideons. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's say the Great Commission together. 
And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the 